So we are wrapping up, and I am the aforementioned Dave Mitchell, and uh, glad to be worshiping together with you this morning. We're excited about the Supernatural series. We have been on a journey together here the last uh, couple of months or so, talking about demons and angels, heaven and hell, uh, the spiritual war that rages around us. And this morning we want to go into the future. We're going to look at the nine ways that angels teach us that we can learn from them, that model for us what they're currently and going to be doing in heaven in the future, we should be all over that as well. Sometimes when we go into prophecy and we look into the future events, uh, for uh, some people it feels irrelevant. And let me encourage us, because the book of Revelation has been given to us, as John said in John, in Reve- the God- book of Revelation was written by the apostle John, who wrote the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and he wrote the book Revelation, one of his last things he did in his latter days of life on the Isle of Patmos. And uh, there he languished in a prison setting, and God gave him this revelation. And Revelation 1-3, blessed are those who read and heed the words of this book. I want us to be blessed this morning. But sometimes we don't think that prophecy has relevance for us. Let me give you three words that will help you through this morning as we journey together. And they are these. Because God has a plan. The worst word is plan. Some of us are struggling in areas of marriage, areas of relationships, emotional struggles with the depression, anxiety, fear, and anger. Others are battling areas of finances, trying to find adequate work, trying to get into the school of your choice, and uh, trying to finish up maybe this semester with decent enough grades to move you forward with a scholarship. There's a whole host of things that we deal with. And I want you to know that even as we look at the God's plans for the future, God has plans for us in a day-to-day basis. And knowing that God has plans in the global scale tells us that the plans that we have on a daily basis are those things that God can have complete control over. A second word I want to give to you is not only does God have a plan, but God has power. He has power to make the plans we're going to discuss here this morning to take place. He has a power that is the resurrected of Christ. That power is going to be available for God to implement the plans that He has for the nation of Israel and for the future of our globe, our earth in total. And if God has enough power to make those plans take place, then you and I need to know that on a day-to-day basis, whatever you're struggling with in your life, whatever the tribulation that surrounds you today, that God has a power for you as well. And there's a third word, power, plan, but then patience. One of the things you're going to learn from the book of Revelation is that it takes patience to wait upon God to implement His power, to make His plan, in effect, take place in our lives. God is asking us to be patiently enduring. That's a common theme in scriptures. Patient endurance is a common theme that I find that is a hallmark of those who are the mature believers of the faith. The patient endurance to believe that Jesus is going to come back again. But more than that, the patient endurance to believe that God has a plan for my personal life, that He wants to continue to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1, 6. That He has a power that is so great that all powers of this nation, this world, will submit to God's power. And that power can be mine in my daily experience of my life. So as we go through this journey, I'm going to remind you of this at the end of the message. That as we learn these things, these nine things, that God has a plan, He has power to make it happen, but He asks patient endurance of us faithfully living the lives that God's called us to live, 
and obedience to his word and fulfilling his commission to each of us and that we will live out that life. His plan will be realized. His power will fulfill our hearts and we will see the completion of all that God has for us. So that's, that's the journey we're looking at this morning. But in specifically, the nine things that angels teach us in the future days. There are three segments in the history of mankind where God does supernatural, miraculous, over-the-top, overt miracles. The first era of the history of the world was in the days of Moses, where he had the, the big plagues that took place to set the Jewish people free from the nation of Egypt after 400 years of slavery, 400 years of patient endurance for God's plan and His power to set them free to go to the land of milk and honey, as God said in the book of Exodus. And then there was the segment of the days of Elijah and Elisha, where God had major power on display. Dead people being brought to life, sick people being healed, impoverished people being fed. So Moses, Elijah, Elisha, and in the days of Jesus, in the early days of the book of Acts, Jesus, the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of Christ from the dead, but the miracle of healing hundreds if not thousands of people that Christ encountered, the miracles of Peter and Paul of healing people in the early days of the church. We then, since those days, have lived in a day where you don't see the overt, miraculous power that we can really testify to historically in those days, at least a lot in a lot of our arenas of life. But there will be that fourth era of time where God will give us an over-the-top, overt, amazing display of miraculous power, and it's the days we're now now going to enter into from the book of Revelation, the gospel of John. In the book of Revelation, and you have an outline that is available for you, I encourage you, you will find it a lot more beneficial, because I don't believe anybody's going to remember all nine. Uh, But that's why I give to you His power, His plan, and His patient endurance for us. Follow along. Here is what I'm talking about. The very first thing we learn about angels, that angels are longing for this prophetic fulfillment of God's plan. God does have a plan and the angels are longing for that. You see so much of the appeal, the angelic power in heaven that is constantly seeking to worship God for the fulfillment of His plan. And what is the plan that He has for us? The plan was given way back in the days of Abraham. We call it the Abrahamic Covenant where God came to a man who was a righteous man and by faith believed in God and God gave to him this promise and we now know it as the nation of Israel. But in Genesis 12 he says this, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God gave to Abraham a promise, and that has a promise that includes three parts. I'm going to give to you land. I'm going to give to you seed that is a lineage of of life that is going to multiply. And by the days of Exodus, uh, they had over two million Jews that were overwhelming the Egyptians. And so powerful was the, the fruitfulness of God's blessing them of a seed. And then thirdly, I have the promise of a blessing. So a land, seed, and a blessing. I will bless you that you might bless others. And Israel is still the apple of God's eye, as God refers to them in the Scriptures. Like angels, we should seek the fulfillment of that promise that is yet to be fulfilled. God has yet to give Israel all the land that He promised, yet to give to them a seed, that is the seed of the David, of uh, Jesus Christ being the king who would rule over them. 
and to bless all the world through them, they will be a blessing to us eventually. But let me take you to perhaps in some ways, in my personal opinion, aside from the passages that teach on the resurrection of Christ, what is probably the most important chapter in the Bible. That's a big statement. Outside of those that revolve around the resurrection and the crucifixion of Christ. It's Revelation 5. Let me show you why this is an important chapter. In Revelation 5, John is given this revelation. And oh, by the way, here's the petty Dave coming out. It's Revelation singular. There's no S on the end. It's not Revelations. Got it? It's Revelation. Because the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's just good to be accurate. Revelation 5.1, now no longer Petty Dave. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book, written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. That's the way they would have in books in those days. The, the Greek word for book is biblion. We get the word Bible from it. it. It's a scroll. That's how they would have their manufacturing process of books in those days. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice and a highlight in this color, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? What's the book? I'll tell you in a minute. And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep. This is John. And when he says, I began to weep, really the tense of the word means, I wept and I wept and I wept and I wept and I couldn't stop crying. Why was he crying so much? Because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders, referring to those in heaven, the leaders in heaven, perhaps rep representing the church and believers that are there, one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is Jesus Christ. Exactly. And so Jesus Christ is overcome so as to open the book. What's the book? Why is this book so important? I'll tell you in a minute. Revelation 5, 6 going on. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures, these are the cherubim that surround the, the throne of God. They are there protecting the Garden of Eden, and they are there to worship God. And you see it in Ezekiel chapter 1 as well. They are there to worship God and protect His holiness. And the elders of the Lamb standing. The Lamb standing is Christ. He is our sacrifice. As if slain, having seven horns, and Scripture horns represent power, authority. That's the power of authority of Christ. Having seven eyes, and Scripture eyes represent this ability to see all, to know all. Wisdom, that's Christ. Which are the seven spirits of God, seven being the perfect, perfection, perfect word sent out unto all the earth. So this Lamb, this Christ, who has been slain, who has been resurrected, who is very much alive and very much alive in heaven even at this moment, even as I speak, Christ is in heaven waiting for our worship. This Christ, He came and He took the book out of the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. So Christ is standing. Christ walks over to the throne of God. It's God Himself. He has a spirit, but God sits on a throne some way that helps us to understand that He is there, even though He is spirit. And there in the hand of God is this book. 
And Jesus standing walks over as a lamb with all authority and all wisdom. And he receives the book from the Father in heaven. And Jesus now is going to open the book. And so we ask ourselves, what is the book? Why is this book so important? And let me tell you what this book is and why it's so important. Why Revelation 5 is such an important chapter for you and me. Here's what the book is. The book is God's last will and testament. You ever had a loved one die? Probably you have. But to go to the judge's chambers, to go to the lawyer's office, and the lawyer takes that last will and testament of that loved one and opens it up and says, here are the final words of your loved one. Here is the dispensing of his worldly wealth. Here are the things that he wishes for you to take place. These are his last words and will, his testament. That is what this book is. It's Jesus opening up the final book that God has written. The final book that outlines his last will and testament. The book that reveals to us everything that God will do to finally conclude and consummate history as we know it today. It is everything that is contained in the prophetic last times. The end times, we refer to them. That's this book. And they are saying, who is worthy to open God's last will and testament? Well, who is worthy? The only ancestor that God has. Jesus Christ. The only one that has stood before Him that carries on the lineage. Jesus Christ. Christ yesterday, today, and forever. Christ alone is worthy. And that's why then they worship. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book, Christ. You are the one who died for us, buried, rose again, ascended into heaven. You have conquered everything, including death and sin. And so worthy are you to take the last will and testament of the Father. And finally, all the angels surrounding Jesus said, Jesus, finally, we're waiting for you to finally conclude. We know that you are the greatest. We know that you are the God. We have stayed with you and worshipped you and served you. And now, Father, we're waiting for you to finally send your son back and wrap up the evil and the awful and the tribulation of this world. Please conclude these times. And as Jesus takes this book and he opens it up, the angels say, yes, finally. We've been waiting for this day. From the eternity past, they've been waiting. Since they saw Adam and Eve sin in that garden and saw the destruction of sin that comes down through history, they say, we've been waiting for the day when you make all things right. So they sing and worship Him. Worthy are you to take the book, to break its seals, to open the scroll, to reveal the last living word and will of God as testament. Purchase for God. And notice that God saves people from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Everybody has a chance to believe in Jesus. And you have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they will reign on the earth. So will we, someday. I have a little chart. Not everybody likes charts. I do. And since I'm preaching, it's on the screen. I put that on the back side of the outline. I just want you to have a little sense of the flow. And here's one thing I just want to emphasize, because we have enough time to go through all these details. But in the middle of the chart, you see what is called the tribulation. It's called seven years of tribulation. And that's uh, well documented in a lot of passages of Scripture, including the book of Daniel. 
But I want to highlight that's the passage, that's the section of time, that's the history or the prophetic future that we're going to be looking at as we look at the angels in heaven. And here's a, some of you are real students of God's Word. You, you would love to understand the book of Revelation better. But here's a little tip. To understand the book of Revelation, you need to understand this. And that's why I put Revelation 6, 8, and 9, 16. Those three or four chapters. Three sections, but they're four chapters. Chapter 6, 8, 9, and 16 are those chapters that move the chronological story along from year 1 to year 7. All other chapters that you see, including chapter 7 and chapter 10 and chapter 13 and chapter 14 and 15, they're all background stuff that happens at the beginning, the end, the middle. It's just all background stuff. In order to understand the chronological flow, you go to 6, 8, 9, and 16. Those chapters are moving you forward in time to the second coming of Christ in Revelation 19. Just a little extra, because sometimes it helps to have at least a foundation starting point for it. And it's 6, 8, 9, and 16 that moves that chronological story that we want to look at here this morning. And here's the second thing we learn about angels. That we are finding with them a model. We must recognize that God will care for us. He will care for us in that tribulation as well as this tribulation that some of us are living in today. Notice what the angels teach us in Revelation 7. And I saw this four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. When you see four angels at the four corners of the earth, that is a symbolic power move that says we are in control of this earth. The angels are given by God an authority and a power to control this globe we call earth. We may think we can control it. We don't. It's the angels of God that are in controlling this, aim, this uh, earth that we live on. And they're holding back the four winds so that no wind would blow on the earth, on the sea, or in a tree. So powerful, they control the weather. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. What is the seal of the living God? And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. This coming tribulation will occur. And this is what the seal is, to do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God in their foreheads. And in that particular context, Revelation 7, it's talking about the 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from the 12 tribes, and they will be the witnesses through that seven years of tribulation. And God says, I'm going to put my seal on you. And when I seal you, you're mine. Now, we don't live in that time, but we have the seal. We have the seal of the Holy Spirit. Those of us who are believers in Jesus and received His forgiveness, we were given the Holy Spirit. And He seals us. So nothing touches us because the seal of God is there. And everything has to go through Him to us. The angels teach us that God provides protective care no matter what we're going through. We can trust Him with His plan and His power We need patient endurance to allow that plan to be fulfilled. Like the angels, we need to humbly worship before Christ. He is great. He is powerful. And these angels have known Jesus since the beginning of time, whenever that was that they were created, way before the Garden of Eden, way before you and I were ever in existence. The angels have been there with Jesus, and they watched Him die. They watched Him buried. They watched Him be resurrected. They watched Him ascend up into heaven. And now they worship Him as the ascended, conquering Christ. And they go and worship Him, and He says, Model, model this to the people on earth. 
Revelation 7 says, And all the angels were standing around this throne where God is, where Christ is, around the elders and the four living creatures, these cherubim angels. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. These angels can't have enough of this worship going on. And when you and I die, we're going to go to heaven, we're going to be with God, and we're going to join with the angelic chorus worshiping the resurrected Jesus so glad so glad we believed and so glad we remained faithful so that we could take part in the worship of the greatness of Christ that's the promise he has a plan he has the power to make it happen for us we need to patiently endure faithfully waiting for that day like the angels We then therefore need to offer our prayers to the final redemptive work of Christ. Have you ever wondered where your prayers ever go? When you pray, when I pray, I wonder, where do my prayers go? Do they get beyond the ceiling? Does God even hear it? Does He remember it? Does He write it down in a book? Does He have an iPad that He wants to take notes on? How does He retain us? What happens to my prayers? The angels teach us what happens. Let's go into heaven and watch what happens to the prayers that you and I offer to God for the redemptive work, His protective power, His care for us in whatever we go through. Revelation chapter 8 shows what happens to prayers when they get to heaven. And the Lamb broke the seventh seal of this scroll, this book, this biblion, this final last, last will and testament is what he's talking about there. And there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour because they were overwhelmed with what God's plans are. When God says, here are my plans, Jesus, for the consummation of the history of mankind. And there's silence in heaven when they say, wow, this is even more than we thought. There's silence. And it says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets, which are the Revelation 8 and 9, which moves again the story forward, of the seven trumpets being blown and, and recorded and uh, revealed. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. In heaven there is a golden altar, There is a censer. There is incense. And heaven's place of worship is what is the model for what took place in the temple on earth where the Jews would go and worship. And in those days, the Jewish days, around the days of Christ, they had a temple where they would go and worship. And the priest in the morning would take the morning sacrifice and sacrifice it on the altar. And he'd take the evening sacrifice and sacrifice it on the altar. And then there would be these embers, these coals that would still be there burning. And he takes those coals in the morning the evening. He takes those coals. He goes into the Holy of Holies. He goes to before this altar where the incense is. And he puts the coals with the incense so that they are reflective of the beautiful radiance of aroma of the worship of the Jewish people who have brought their sacrifices to the priest. And the reason they built it that way so the morning evening sacrifices could be having the coals mixed together with the incense and that aroma lifted up before God is because that's what happens in heaven. So God says, I've got the heavenly worship, now let's build one on earth. And this is what is happening here. And it goes on and says, "In the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. 
Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it down to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And man in heaven, it's going to be spectacular. The 60th anniversary of Disneyland has nothing on what God is going to do in heaven. That's what happens to our prayers. When you and I pray, God, how much longer? When are you going to fix, heal, restore, redeem, repair, whatever? God, when? Your prayer, when you pray that, according to God's will, it goes up into heaven. And those angels gather those prayer requests. And they take those prayer requests and they add them to the incense of the heavenly worship that's taking place right now. And that incense then comes before holy God. Although He is a spirit, He has nostrils, according to Scripture. Although He is a spirit, He has hands, according to Scripture. And that holy prayer of ours, filled with incense, comes before Him. And then He begins to dispense His response. And sometimes we get it quickly. And sometimes it takes a long time. It took the Israelites in Egypt 400 years of slavery before God heard their prayers. In Revelation, for some people it was instantaneously as they were brought up into heaven. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And there they say, God, how much longer? He says, rest a little while. It's just a matter of years, but I'm going to wrap it up. Your prayers and my prayers are like a beautiful incense to the nose of God. Never discount your prayer life. How moving it is to the heart of God to hear that. It's a beautiful fragrance to Him. Like angels, we need to be aware that there is a lot of evil that's taking place. We need to always pay and be alert to the fact that Satan and his demons are evil and ugly. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says that the angels are disguised as angels of light. Demons are like angels of light. They, they look good to us. Here is what they really look like to the angels of heaven. And the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, this place of beautiful fragrance and worship of God. And one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. The four angels that are bound, never in Scripture do you see good angels being bound. You always see evil angels that we call demons being bound. There are demons today that are being bound in a place that Scripture calls Tartarus. And it's translated in the Scriptures as hell. That's a different location, a different hell than where people go who do not believe in Jesus. That is Hades. And so there's a special holding tank for demons that are being bound because of the evil, the awful evilness that exceeds regular evilness that those demons had committed. And they are being bound, these four angels are being bound by the great river Euphrates. And I'll show you that in a moment. And the four angels who had been prepared for that hour, day, month, and year were released. Notice how God has a plan. The hour, the day, the month, and the year. And He has the power to make that plan work. Here is the river Euphrates, if you're not familiar with where that flows in the Middle East today. It goes right down through Iraq. It begins at Mount Ararat in Turkey, flows all the way down to the Persian Gulf. Euphrates River is the oldest river in the world. The Euphrates River was the river that was in the Garden of Eden. The Euphrates River is where Adam and Eve first sinned. 
The Euphrates River is where Cain killed Abel. The Euphrates River is where the Tower of Babel and the confusion of languages and religions began to propagate throughout the world. So the Euphrates River is a key river that God's going to work around. The Euphrates River, here's another one. Euphrates River is the easternmost part of where the nation of Israel will be when Jesus returns back and establishes His kingdom. What would it be like if you go to Iraq and you stand there in Iraq near the Euphrates River and a guy from ISIS shows up? And ISIS says, what are you doing here? Well, I'm just trying to beat the rush because someday this land is going to belong to Israel. He'll chop your head off faster than you can say, that's what's going to happen. Someday, when Jesus comes back, you see Israel is a tiny little sliver. It's a tiny little nation surrounded by all these other nations, like Iran that wants to destroy them. Why is that? Because there are four demons that are there planted. You see it in Daniel chapter 10, where a demon is over the nation of Iran, of Persian people. They're being held captive the slavery of Islam and the dictatorship that is taking place. Why is there so much evil that's bubbling up all over from Syria and Lebanon, Iraq, Iran? Why is this always an raging roar that is taking place here? Because it's a hotbed of demonic power. It's the original spot where sin began. It's where demons have a play day to carry out their evil plans. And there are four demons that are going to be released to allow even more treachery and tribulation to take place. And they are right there by the Euphrates River, right in the middle of Iraq. And the future plans, if Iran gets a nuclear power, and you see Scripture, the people from the north, people from the south, people from the east, even as China is now building an island where more they can have more artillery power, even right now, that's current news. These things are taking place. And they're all a strengthening of the powers of the nations that want to battle Israel, but more importantly, they want to battle Jesus. And you'll see that fulfilled in the history of, of the prophecy. And so these appearances, these locusts were like horses prepared for battle. This is the demonic power. This is how evil and awful they are. On their heads appeared to be crowns like gold, their faces like the faces of men. They had the hair like the hair of women. Their teeth were like the teeth of lions. And each of these are symbolic of the evilness of demons. The demons are like on horses. They're spiritually, they're warfare taking place. Crowns like gold, victorious for the moment at least. Faces like men, they have intelligence. They have identifiable characteristics to them. They have the hair like women. In those days, not today, but in those days, the hairs of women would be reflective of a seductive nature. They draw people into temptation. Teeth like lions to destroy. Breastplates of iron, they're defensible, hard to destroy. Wings, very mobile. Tails like scorpion, painful. When God says, trust me, demons are nothing to be playing with. No, no attempt to sort of cons to console with them in any possible way. They are pure evil. And this is what they are looking like to the angelic powers that really see them for who they are. 
And so God says, I want you to be like the angels. In order to overcome what they are doing, you need to be a student of my word. You need to allow my word to come into your heart, to be able to come to grips with the reality of what that is. And that's why you're here today. So I don't need to drill this home so much. But notice in Revelation 10, I took the little book. This is John. An angel comes to him with a book. And he receives the book from the angel's hand. And he eats it. It means I absorb it. I take it into my, my soul. It becomes part of my life. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey and when I had eaten it my stomach was made bitter and they said to me you must prophesy again concerning many people's nations and tongues and people why is the book both sweet and bitter here are the reasons because as John receives these truths from the angels it's sweet because Jesus will reign Jesus will conquer Jesus will overcome Jesus will open the book Jesus will come back God loves us He's gracious, He's kind, He's gentle, He's humble. He loves to give us ability to do what we can't do. Those are sweet. But there's also a truth in God's Word that God has a wrath, that God will judge someday, that Jesus will come back and He will judge those who do not believe. That's bitter. So there are realities that we can't just pick and choose the stuff we like, the sweet stuff, and leave the bitter stuff. We absorb it all so that we can be ready and understand, be prepared. Like the angels, we must warn people that this day will come of judgment. Notice in Revelation 14, this is happening throughout the seven years of the tribulation. I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to the, those who live on the earth, through every nation, tribe, tongue and people. Everybody's hearing the gospel from this angel. He's like a drone going all over the world. And he's saying with a loud voice, fear God, give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. The angels know how severe this is. The angels know how real this is. This isn't just some game. This isn't some sort of pie in the sky. It'll happen to somebody else. It's just not a cartoon. This is reality. And the angel is going everywhere around the world to every language group, every nation, every tribe, every people. Please fear God. Worship him. Humble yourselves under him because he's coming back. And when he comes back, there's no second chance. So this angel's preaching the gospel. So like the angels, you and I, the people that live near us, family members, people we work with, the cubicle friend, the student friend, the professor, the students, wherever we are at, like the angels, fear God, come to Christ, Receive what He offers to you. And that's the power of that. We can't take the sweetness of the Word and reject the bitterness of judgment. Matt Davis gave me this, the rabbi. Francis Chan wrote, It's incredibly arrogant to pick and choose which incomprehensible truths we embrace. No one wants to ditch God's plans of redemption, even though it doesn't make sense to us. Faith alone and Christ alone, is that simple? Are you getting me? It is that simple. But neither should we erase God's revealed plan of punishment because it didn't sit well with us. As soon as we do this, we're putting God's actions in submission to our own reasoning, which is a ridiculous thing for the clay to do also. We can't say, God, I'll take your redemption, but I can't believe you're a judgmental God. I could never accept everybody will die and go to heaven. Everybody will be saved. No, no. There's sweetness and there's bitterness. 
And so like the angels, we need to be ready to return with Christ at the very end times. Revelation 19 is the return of Christ. And it reads this way, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. So Jesus is going to come back on a white horse. Pretty spectacular. I like the, the imagery of that. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. He came the first time as a lamb to give his life. He comes a second time as a kingdom, as a king to conquer the kingdoms of the world. And when the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses, and you and I will follow in white linen on white horses. Don't worry if you don't know how to have a ho- ride a horse. You will learn in heaven. You'll be pretty, very well prepared. And just hope you don't get the shovel duty up there. So Revelation 19, we're going to come back with him. We're going to rule with him. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword. This is Jesus. He's conquering the enemies. All these powerful nations that we didn't have time to get into are converging into this little land we called Armageddon, Megiddo. You go there and you tour there and you see this valley where all this conversion of these powers are going to take place. And he comes back that he might strike down the nations. He will rule over them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And uh, on his robe and his thigh his name is written King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. When I saw an angel standing in the sun, cried out a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in the mid-heaven, Come and assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. There will be this tremendous battle, but it won't be a battle because Jesus will speak the word and the enemy will be destroyed. But notice, here is this army of people on horses coming seemingly from the moon. And these human beings on earth saying, you know, I can, I can battle that. It's insane. There's no way they can overcome that. And yet they fight. How evil is the sinful rebellion of so many. John Alexander wrote this about the terribleness and the goodness of sin. Sin is the best news there is, the best news there could be in our predicament. Because with sin there's a way out. I love this. There's a possibility of repentance. You can't repent of confusion or psychological flaws inflicted by your parents. You're stuck with them. And many of us know that. We feel that every day. But you can repent of sin. Sin and repentance to Jesus are the only grounds for hope and joy, the grounds for reconciled, joyful relationships. You can be born again by Jesus' death on the cross and resurrected life. He waits to serve you from heaven and from your heart. That's the beauty of this. The more I hear about the fact that there will be a judgment to come, I can do something about that. I can have Christ forgive me, put my faith and trust in Him. We'll give you that opportunity today if you'd like to do that. And then finally, like the angels, we need to let the world know that it's going to be a new kingdom someday. And Jesus is going to come back and establish that new kingdom on earth, a new heaven and a new earth. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues came. And he spoke with me. He said, come here, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. That's you and I. We're going to be in heaven. We are the bride. We are the, the, the bride of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. He is the groom. And he carried me away in the spirit to the great and high mountain. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. Not the Jerusalem over there, but the brand new Jerusalem that's coming down from heaven. It has the glory of God in it. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. Remember those words. These words are faithful and true. 
So many people take the book of Revelation and just throw it away as a bunch of allegorical mumble-jumble that makes no sense to me at all. No, John says at the very end, these words are faithful and true. I better wake up to them. I better face the reality of them. This is real, the real deal of God working today. And the Lord, the God of the Spirit, the prophet, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed are those who take the book of Revelation and say, Wow, I need to learn this. I need to respond to this. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And the angel says back to him, Man, don't worship me. Don't worship me. I am a fellow servant of yours, of the brethren, of the prophets, and those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Worship God. God calls us to worship Him. As I began our little talk this morning, I gave you three words. The prophetic words of God help us to understand that God has a plan. He has a global plan for all of eternity, but He has a plan for you and me every day. And God has a power. His power will enable us to fulfill the plan that He has for us every day, but His power also is going to complete this eternal history that we just saw. But He asked for patient endurance. God, I'm going to patiently wait for you to fulfill the plan that you have for me, even though I wish that it happened today, but I'll wait on you because I'll be faithful to you, because I'll be obedient to you, and whatever you ask of me, I will continue to do that thing for you because you're the one with the plan, you're the one with the power. I have no place else to go, so I'll patiently endure and wait upon you. And there's a fourth P word, and it's praise. We come and we praise God for the greatness of who He is. And I just invite you into that worship. Say, God, I want to worship you. And we're going to worship him now. Now we have the tables here. We have the communion. Someday we'll worship and have communion with Jesus in heaven. Uh, that will be this great supper that we'll have with Christ if you're a believer in Jesus. And we'll come and take the bread. It represents the body of Christ, the cup, the blood of Christ. They're symbols of my communion with the holy God. We have the offering. Someday we'll take those crowns that he gives us and we'll cast them before the Lord Jesus Christ, we give to Christ all that we think that we've earned, but we know we didn't earn it. He gave it to us, and He owns it all. So we give back, and we worship Him in that way. I'm going to pray for us right now. I'm going to read a little scripture, and we'll worship together. Somewhat in the way, we'll worship in heaven someday. So let me pray. Help us, Father, as we come before You. God, we want to do Your will. Someday you will unfold the book that will reveal the plans and bring Jesus back. But Lord, for some of us it's a day-to-day struggle just to trust you for the finances, the health, the relationships, the parenting, the marriage, the emotional struggles, family members in need. Help us to trust you that you still have a plan for them and for us. You have a power for them, for us. May we patiently wait upon you, faithful to all that you've called us to do. And now, Father, we praise you. We praise you for being that sovereign God who rules over this world. And we thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.